On this episode, I speak to the godfather of biohacking, Dave Asprey. He explains why training for only minutes, not hours per week, actually can increase muscle tone and your VO2 max by 12%. Dave also explains the laziness principle and how we can hack into it to gain more energy. And if, like me, you find meditation annoyingly boring, we might just have an answer for you. Enjoy this episode. Hi, I'm Davinia Taylor and welcome to Hack Your Health, a podcast which can support a fast track to feeling your best, boosting your mood and uplifting your general outlook on life. My biohacking journey began over eight years ago, which led me to having a ridiculously inquiring mind, always asking questions and searching for the answers. For example, why do I sometimes lose focus and what makes me sign up to a marathon at 45? Or one of my first ever questions, what the hell makes me so allergic to alcohol that I can't ever drink again and how do I manage that? After all, what is addiction and how can it be tamed? Over the years, I've done tons of research and become my own N of one experiment, trying and testing some of the most out there and fringe hypotheses to find out what actually works for me. Me being an average middle-aged British woman with the usual ups and downs of 21st century living. And now I want to share with you what I've learned. I'll be joined by some of the best visionaries in the health and biohacking space, asking them to put forward their arguments and suggestions that could support your health and well-being. As with everything, there is never a one-size-fits-all approach, so I ask you, take these conversations as food for thought. The advice you hear should never be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnoses or treatment. But whatever you do, stay inquisitive. And as always, I love your feedback and your experience about what we talk about. Now let's go and hack your health. Our guest today is a pioneer of the biohacking movement, elevating human performance through scientific research combined with ancient healing traditions. He has educated and changed literally millions of people's lives through his podcast, The Human Upgrade, and his four New York Times bestselling books, including one of my favorites, Superhuman, The Bulletproof Plan to Age Backwards and Maybe Even Live Forever. His new book, which I devoured in the last 24 hours, is called Smarter, Not Harder, A Guide to Reclaiming and Optimizing Your Health. Wow, what a read. Oh my God, it's a fabulous cover as well. I love it. I love it. I love it. Dave Asprey, welcome. Davinia, I'm happy to be here. Congratulations on an epic book. I literally did devour it in 24 hours and I just couldn't put it down. I mean, your information is so cutting edge. I mean, you just don't stop, do you? You literally are just constantly lifting the bonnet on everything that we do as human beings. I do actually stop, believe it or not, uh, because I'm super lazy. <laughs> ah, ah, which actually brings me to my first question. You say that there is a laziness principle. Can you just explain why you think that all human beings are fundamentally lazy? Well, it's because inside us, we have invisible algorithms that keep our bodies alive for us. So it's stuff your body does when you're not paying attention, you know, like breathing, heart pumping, stuff like that. One of those tells you that you should save energy in case a famine comes. And it makes laying on the couch so attractive compared to doing something else. I concur with that. Yeah. <laughs> We've been taught by churches and parents and teachers and bosses Hard work is good. If you want to work hard, you're a good person. If you want to lay on the couch, you're a bad person. And that that flies in the face of two billion years of biological evolution. So what if you said, actually, the reality is that I don't want to work. I'm willing to work if you pay me, but I don't want to. And I'm willing to go to the gym if the payoff is big enough, but I don't want to go to the gym. And it's different if you say, I want to go hiking with friends because it's fun. Like that's recreational. That's fun. That's play. But that's different than, than actually exercise. And some people feel shame or they even get triggered when I say that. But no, your body is wired to use the minimum necessary energy to get anything done because you might not have enough food. It's just part of keeping the species alive. You know, imagine if you only had 
you know, a cup of oatmeal for the entire day, would you also want to run a marathon? No, you would want to conserve energy. That's where laziness comes from. And it's not a bad thing because laziness has driven all of human progress. So right now we are talking over the internet. Before that, we would have had to fly to meet each other to have a conversation like this. And we would have had to have a million dollars worth of video cameras in the 1970s to do this. And it would have been a big deal. It's still kind of a big deal, but it's a big deal because we're so lazy. We don't have to do that anymore because hundreds of millions of engineering hours went into figuring out how to get little photons to go through fiber optic cables under the planet. Unless there was a problem, we'll just go through some satellites like, what the hell? Laziness did that. So laziness actually makes us very creative, I guess, doesn't it? How to wing it, how to wing life. Our desire to not do hard stuff has driven all evolution of humanity. From the first caveman, you know, it's really hard to catch that wild animal and just jump on his back and bite him. I think I'll invent a spear. I mean, everything ever has been the old way sucked. Let me do it a new way. All of my career in Silicon Valley was like, can't, isn't there a better way that takes less work? When I, I first started out, one person could manage 10 computers if you worked really hard. And, and me and a bunch of other people like, what if we like didn't have to do that? That was how cloud computing happened, <laughs> which is powering what we do today. One person can manage a million computers if they want to. Because of lazy people like me 25 years ago going, we don't want to do this job. I mean, you pay us for it, but we don't want to. We just want to get paid without doing the work. Don't you want to get paid without doing the work? Every day, my friend, every day. Well, then embrace your inner laziness. Look at you. There's nothing wrong with this. In fact, it's it's a sacred part of being a human, and we've learned to, to be ashamed of this. So the reason that, that we're ashamed of it is, is it's not rational. It's irrational. Our body follows its own rules, independent of us. And in Smarter Not Harder, in the new book, I go through just a little bit of the, the neuroscience to convince you that what I'm saying is true using hard science. And I introduced the idea of a, a meat operating system. By the way, how'd you like that name when you read it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is pretty powerful, actually. Um, so can you actually explain that? Because it does crop up an awful lot in your book. It is fascinating theory. So an operating system's job is to basically make all the stuff work. So then you can do what you want to do. So when you're running on your Mac or your Windows machine, you get an app and you just put it on your phone and it's it's easy, right? But all the stuff in the phone had to be there first and it handles all the automatic stuff like the operating system figures out should the battery get charged or not. But when you install TikTok on your phone, TikTok doesn't really look at your battery life. They don't care. Like they don't have to. All this stuff is automated. Well, the good and the bad news is that our conscious brains we're basically installed on top of our meat operating system because you got to imagine something's keeping all these systems in your body running. So how do you know when the little blood vessel things squeeze in your arms? Right? I don't know. How do you know exactly how much pressure you put on your elbow when you do a curl? I don't know. Right. Nobody knows. So there's masses of invisible systems and they're supposed to be invisible. And here's the creepy, scary thing that is the biggest proof of all. When I snap my fingers right now, you hear it right away, right? You could say, well, there's a little bit of lag. Well, the signal gets to you and it's, you know, a little bit. No, in reality, when we put electrodes on your brain, in my 40 years of Zen neuroscience, it's like the highest end brain upgrade company on the planet right now. We've had 1,500 entrepreneurs and execs come through there and we look at their brain waves. And what you'll find is when you make a sound, for the average person, there's about a third of a second before your brain gets even an electrical signal that a sound happened. And then it takes another little while for you to figure out that that wasn't, you know, that was not my, me clapping my hands. That was me snapping my finger. So there's a third of a second lag time between when my lips move and when voice comes out of my mouth and when you perceive it. Can you see the lag time? Yes. So we're always a little bit behind. So things that we do instinctively are out of our conscious control, I suppose. Right. So this is creepy because I can't see that there's a third of a second delay between when you do something and when my brain gets a signal. It's totally edited out of my reality by some 
force. And the force is my operating system. My meat operating system says, you don't need to know there's a delay there. So let's pretend like you're running in real time, even though you're not. So that means there's a third of a second where someone else is in charge all the time and someone invisible you can't see. Oh my God, and me as a control freak, that's really scary. Most of us, we say, well, anything that happens during that time, that's what you did. And then you oftentimes will be like, why did I do that? Why am I feeling this way? I'm ashamed of this. You know, Why did I pick up the plate of, I'm going to say it right, the plate of chips? <laughs> French fries. Yeah, chips. Exactly. Chips and gravy. Yeah. Right. So, so why did I put that in my mouth? Because you weren't really paying attention. Well, it wasn't you who did it. It was this other system saying, you know, you might starve. So I want you to lay on the couch and I want you to eat everything just in case. And if you're not aware, you don't have the energy to pay attention, then it'll just do stuff. And then you feel guilty. And a lot of times what's going on in our life is our operating system is doing things. It believes something about reality that's not true. Like there might not be enough food. For the vast majority of listeners right now, you're probably not going to starve in the next 48 hours. And for all of us, you can go 60 days without eating before you starve. But if you don't have, you know, sausage for lunch, you're going to die is the way it, it's is the story it tells you. So you just, yeah, you end up realizing, wow, there's someone manipulating my reality. And that means you can manipulate it. And that's the whole point of biohacking. Exactly. So you just touched on your meat OS doesn't have the energy to say no to a plate of chips. What do you mean by energy? Because obviously we always think energy is a, well, sugar, a glucose, high carbohydrate food, or just energy, just coffee, whatever it is. What do you mean by a force of energy in that system? Well, your meat operating system is run by electricity, same as all of you. Wow. Okay. And it will never say no to a plate of chips. If it was in charge, you would eat them until you threw up. Because its job, the rule is eat everything. There might not be food later. Just eat it all. Like it's the pig. It's the source of gluttony. It's actually the source of all of the seven sins, <laughs> believe it or not. They're innate human behaviors built into our tissues with no consciousness at all. And if you're tired, your blood sugar is low, uh, you're distracted, uh, you're, you're traumatized, Something will happen in the world around you. And then instead of catching it with your human brain, your operating system's like, oh, I'm too tired to even send that signal into the human brain for processing. Let me just take care of that for you. And then you kind of go on autopilot. And we've all done this, right? And then magically, when you have enough energy, that means your metabolism is working and you're not wasting your energy in all sorts of places, then you'll catch an urge from your operating system that says, you know, eat all the pizza or yell at my spouse or whatever. And, and you go, no, I'm not going to do that. And then you say, okay, great. Today I won. You still spent all the energy noticing your operating system was misbehaving and then correcting it, but at least you were in charge. So part of the game of biohacking is making sure you have enough energy to be the one in charge. And then part of it is telling the operating system to behave itself, to train it, to do what you want. And the combination of those two things can be really magical in terms of physical, mental, spiritual transformation, because all of a sudden now you don't get the urges you used to get. And if they do happen, they're so small and you're so big and powerful that who knows what you might do. I mean, you might even be dangerous. I mean, you, you might ask that person out. You might you know, get a raise. You might say no when a government tries to force you to do something against your will that's stupid and untested. <laughs> I'm talking about glyphosate time. if you're thinking of something else. Yeah, I, I just meant, you know. <laughs> yeah, of, of course you mean glyphosate. Yes, of course. Of course, of course. <laughs> Which is, by the way, actually, that has been approved in the UK until 2025. I was just reading. I thought. Are you oh, serious? Man. Yeah. I'm like, what? I, I used to fly to the UK because I could eat wheat that didn't have glyphosate on it. Now you guys are going to ruin your own country as well. Good job, Monsanto. Just moving back to, to your book and the biohacking and everything. Explain rapid on, rapid off response as you do in the book. Well, one of the things that drove me to write the book, and I'll tell a little story here to illustrate it. When I was 23, I weighed 300 pounds or 21.4 stone. And today I weigh 14 stone. So I've lost 10 stone. 
And what's your body fat percentage? Uh, I'm around 8.1% right now. Oh my God. I wasn't that when I was 15. You are lean, man. I'm in good shape. I have abs and I work out 15 minutes a week. I want to talk about that as well. I mean, how old are you, Dave? Just so we know, just so we can put it in some perspective. I'm 27.7%. You're 27.7% of? Of the minimum expected lifespan of 180. Okay. Right. You're going to have to do some more math for me there. Okay. Do, do, you, want, do you want my chronological age or my biological age? Because they're not the same. Well, actually both. I w- I'd like both actually. So on the calendar, I'm 50. Right. And on lab tests, I'm 39. Mega. It's very confusing, you know, trying to find a doctor who will understand that I I identify as being 27%, not 39 or 50. Okay, right. Okay. I wanted to speak to you about your rapid on, rapid off response. So you started off 21 odd stone, yeah. So I started out, I was really heavy. And I said, all right, I'm going to go to the gym. And I did, because the most important thing in my life was losing weight. So I went 90 minutes a day half weights, half cardio, and I did it six days a week without fail. I went on a low-fat, low-calorie diet, and I knew because I'd heard it somewhere, and it's just a belief that we have, that if I did lots of hard work, it would be the signal that would cause me to lose weight and if I, I ate less. At the end of all that time, I could max out all but two of the machines, and I still weighed whatever it was, 21 or 24 stone, whatever that was, a lot of stones. A lot of <laughs> and, stones. A lot of pebbles, yeah. Right. And I didn't lose any weight at all. It was 21 stone. So I didn't lose didn't lose that at all. And it was it was really kind of disturbing because I sat down once at a fast food place and all my friends were eating these cheeseburgers and I'm eating the chicken salad with no chicken and no dressing because the chicken was high calorie too and just gnawing hunger all the time and just like learning to sort of lean into it. Meanwhile, I, I spent 702 hours working out and I didn't lose anything because I believed this idea that the amount of work was what mattered. That's that old work ethic because we're ashamed of being lazy. The reality is that your operating system doesn't work that way. What it responds to, and this is a new concept that appears to apply to almost everything in humans, but there are some cases where it doesn't, but I call it the slope of the curve or rapid on rapid off response. What this means is that if you give the body a signal that it needs to turn on all the way very rapidly, it'll listen. And if it, if as soon as you get it there to the point where it says, I can't do this anymore, you immediately stop and return to the calmest state you can as fast as you can, then the body adapts quickly. And the problem is that we don't normally do that because we've learned, for instance, cardio is a great way of of kind of providing examples. And there's charts in the book where I show this. So what I did when I went to the gym, when I was fat is I get on the treadmill and then you say, I'm going to warm up for five minutes just by walking, get my heart rate up a little bit. And then maybe I'm going to go really hard and and you do kind of like a a sprint, right? And then you kind of go down, I'll I'll run at 50%, 70%, you do some hill climbs up, down, up, down, and then you're nice and sweaty and you're panting. Therefore, you're a good person and you must have created the change you wanted. And then you go take a shower and you're done. Well, here's what the body hears. The body hears, oh, a tiger chased you when you did the sprint. It's it's like, I don't know why you're jogging, but okay, fine, whatever. Now you're warm. I'm going to get ready for whatever you're going to do. Maybe you're going to go kill a tiger or something. And then all of a sudden you run like you're going to die, which is that intense sprint. It goes, okay. I got you. Remember, these are dumb cells. They don't have your brain. Like something's hunting me. Why else would I do something this hard? Like clearly. And then instead of stopping because you got away from the predator, you kept running. That tells your body you are being hunted. Something is chasing you. Oh, and since you're probably eating a plant-based diet and you don't have enough nutrients and you're eating less calories, oh, there's a famine and something is continuing to hunt you. Why would the body put any resources into making you stronger or more more fit. No, it'll put all of its resources into fight or flight, into short-term benefits. And this is why those longer cardio workouts don't work very well. When you use the exact, the AI-driven uh, technologies that are a part of, of Upgrade Labs, this is my franchise. We're opening more than a dozen locations in the US and Canada this year. People can go to ownandupgradelabs.com, at least in North America, 
and you can open one in any city. So I want biohacking for everyone. I'm sure we'll make it over the pond as well. But what we find there is with a technology called ReHIT, which is reduced exertion high-intensity training, that if you do a five-minute workout without sweating, and most of the workout is moving really slowly, that it's boring. Okay, so five minutes, three times a week, do that for two months. You'll have a 12% change in your cardiovascular fitness, um, which is called VO2 max. That's associated with living two more years. Okay, or you could go to a, a spin class. You could do that five days a week for an hour with someone like wearing tight clothes, sweating and yelling at you while playing loud music. <laughs> yeah, you can do it. You can do it. Like, like, yes. Oh. I'm looking at you, Soul Cycle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. I don't mean to pick on Soul Cycle. It's just, it's not my thing. Right. I, I, I would actually rather be fat. But <laughs> there, are, there are people who love it. Right. And so I'm, I'm not knocking it. If you do it for a community and you love it, keep doing it. Like, like there's nothing wrong with it. it it's also like, I don't like whatever. I, I don't like uh, liver. It just tastes gross. Sweaty, dark studios underground <laughs> at seven in the morning. Yeah, right. So it's just, but some people do love. But a lot of us go because we think we have to, or any other kind of gym workout. But when you do that, so this is a lot. Five days a week, an hour. That's five hours of time times a couple months. That's eight times. That's forty hours you spent sweating. You're going to get a two percent improvement if you spend fifteen minutes a week times four. So what is that? two hours instead of 40 hours, (laughs) you get a 12% improvement, six times better in a tiny fraction. This is how big the slope of the curve biology principle in smarter, not harder is. So when you read the book, I teach you, here's how to tell your body, you're going to go right to the edge of what would break you and then stop and then just chill. And that when you do it, the body says, oh, a tiger chased you. You got away. There's plenty of food. There's plenty of electricity available right now. You're calm. The emergency is over. Why don't I just build some more capacity in case that tiger comes again? So the end result is we talk about laziness. Wait a minute. You mean I got way more benefits and way less time? I think I can do that. And the way you motivate yourself to do the smarter, not harder type of biohacks is instead of focusing on the five minutes of work, because still, your meat operating system is like five minutes of work, gross. I could lay on a couch. But what you do instead is you say, I'm going to save 45 minutes right now. And that's your laziness. You're feeding your laziness. And marketing companies understand laziness. Have you ever gone and bought a really nice pair of shoes that were on sale? Oh, too many times. Too many times to mention here. Yes, unfortunately. Okay. So when you came home, did you say, I saved 100 pounds on this pair of shoes? Or did you say, I spent 200 pounds on the shoes? It's always about the investment. Yes. I invested and saved. Yeah. It's about the savings, right? It's always about the saving. Yeah. So that's your operating system stepping in to make the amount you saved feel more important than the amount you spent. But isn't the amount you spent more important? Rationally, it's more important. But the way it feels, the body's like, yes, I rewarded my laziness. I'm going to trick my human into focusing on how much they saved. And marketers have figured this out a long time ago. That's why they have big coupons and big sales because the amount off feels bigger than it is. And we are driven by feelings and then thoughts. It's not thoughts, then feelings. So if it feels that way, then we'll just make up a story about how it's such a big savings. We got to do it. Well, I'm going to propose, and I do in Smarter Not Harder, what if your motivation for going to the biohacking facility instead of the gym was that you're going to save a huge amount and your motivation isn't, yeah, today I'm going to get up and sweat which is self-deception, it's, yeah, today I'm going to get up and save 50 minutes. And then it's worth it because I think we're all smart and we don't want to do more than is necessary. It's an honorable laziness that is about valuing your life. Because what do you do with an extra hour every day? You got your health goals met. You're going to be a better parent, a better partner. You're going to start a business. You're going to learn a new skill. You're going to play. All of these are available, but if you do what you think you're supposed to do, you will spend six hours a week plus showers and everything in the gym just trying to be fit. And for the vast majority of us, we just don't do it. But if we did do what I'm talking about, do 30 minutes twice a week that isn't particularly painful and get huge results from that. And then with that extra time, do something that matters. That's why it was worth writing a book about it. 
because we're spending huge amounts of time not getting very much done and we're forcing ourselves to do it. And there's two companies that have kind of, or two industries that have conspired uh, to make this happen. One of them is in the US, I don't have statistics available for the UK, but it's probably similar. In the US, there's $400 million a year spent on ghost gym memberships. Is when you buy the membership and you never go. $400 million. <laughs> That's the meat operating system at work because your body knows that that exercise doesn't work very well. The return on investment isn't very good. So your brain says, I should want to do this. And your body is like, you actually don't want to do it because it doesn't work very well. So then the body wins because it gets to see reality first. So you look at that and then you look at big food. What does the big agriculture, big food industry want? Well, they want to sell you food that makes you really hungry so they can sell you more food. And that is the definition of the plant-based diet. It's also the definition of diet soda. You, you sell diet soda to fat people on the promise it'll make them thin, yet it makes them fatter, which means you have a market for life. Yes, I drank 17 diet sodas a day when I weighed 300 pounds or 21 stone. How did you get off that? Because it is so addictive, isn't it? And what is it that's in it that's addictive? Well, aspartame, the artificial sweetener they use, is provably addictive, and it messes with your gut bacteria. And there are always these shrill online trolls who just ignore mountains of evidence, like, it's calories in, calories out. It's calories in, calories <laughs> out. And it's like these sad people whose mothers never love them, and then they build these big social media pages saying you can eat like a Twinkie and a diet soda and they cancel each other out. And these are like, these are actually mostly very scarred, very sad people. I'm like, I just wish someone had changed their diapers that one day when they didn't get a change and maybe they wouldn't have turned out to be such sad trolls. And they're really bad in the UK. Have you noticed that? Like they're even angrier than normal, like the, the calories in calories out. Show? It's the weather. It's the, it's, it's the weather, Dave. It's the weather. It's a very, it's a very oppressive time of year. They come out in their droves when it's raining. It's drizzly. I love them. They're fun to play with, um, but it's kind of mean, but I still kind of like playing with them. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> that all comes from just unfortunate belief systems um, that aren't real. And one of them is that if you eat less calories, somehow you're going to lose weight because Newton's law. But the reality is that didn't work for me. And it doesn't work for the vast majority of people. If you're overtraining, which is common, especially for women, the number of women who've, who've come to me and said, Dave, I followed your advice. I stopped working out as much. I went down to just two times a week. Like I, I go for a walk or I do a yoga class or something, but I only have two workouts in the gym per week. And I started eating more and eating more animal protein. And I lost a bunch of weight. It happens over and over because the body's not going to go to the work of losing weight if you give it a signal that there's a famine and a tiger. So it's about the right signal at the right time. And Smarter Not Harder just tells you, here's the minimum possible amount of time and energy you can spend to make your body do what you want. But it's not just your body. It turns out, if I was to ask the average person on the street, do you want to be healthy? They're all going to say yes, but they all have a different definition of it. So when I opened Upgrade Labs in Santa Monica underneath Arnold Schwarzenegger's office, you know, the Terminator, which is kind of the home of physical fitness in, in the US. Yeah. I found working with a lot of a lot of celebrities and other other people coming in, there's five big categories that people want. And we just don't all want the same things. Some people want more muscle. Some people want better endurance, better cardiovascular function. Some people want more energy or fat loss. It turns out those are kind of the same things. I want to get my energy back. Some people want to be able to manage stress better. In fact, for the first time ever in the U.S., in a survey, more people ask for stress management than weight loss. We're more stressed than fat in the U.S., and we're one of the fattest countries there is. So that should tell you something. <laughs> yeah. God. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, the final thing is some people want brain function. In terms of in my journey, my brain function was what I wanted most because when I had chronic fatigue syndrome and I weighed that 300 pounds, I was working in Silicon Valley and I could, my brain stopped working. And I, that really scared me. So I would fire myself. I don't know what that guy I'm doing half the time, but imagine if you went to the gym and you're like, well, I'm going to go and do something that gives me muscles. But what I really wanted was stress management. It doesn't work at all. So when people come into upgrade labs, we use a survey and the survey uh, is going up on daveasprey.com and it'll help you figure out what's your actual goal. 
And then the book is structured. So for each of those categories, it's like, okay, here's how to get a signal into your body. And here's the old way. And all of old exercise was run away from something or pick up a rock. And then the biggest innovation in the last 200 years has been, we could concentrate the rock into a dumbbell. Like, like we, we still do that. Genius. Yeah. Like, yeah. Wow. And it's wind. still selling. <laughs> right. And, and it, by the way, kettlebells or dumbbells do work better than picking up rocks. But you get the point. We haven't really evolved this. But in the last 10 and 20 years, we've had so many new breakthroughs in artificial intelligence and sensing and biohacking. So, like, all right, guys, here for any of these things, here's what we've always done. Here's what you can do at home using this new principle that's in the book. Here's what you can do that costs you know, a few pounds, not very expensive, but might have a cost. And here's what the crazy billionaires do and when what is likely available at Upgrade Labs. And so based on all these principles, what's your goal? And you pick the chapter that's your top goal. And if say you're going to work on endurance, it's also going to help your brain function, but not as much as focusing on just your brain. So you realize when you do one thing, you get paid off in other locations and other benefits. But one of the hardest things you could ever do is say, I want to put on muscle mass and grow my cardiovascular fitness at the same time. Those are kind of opposing goals. Have you ever seen a totally ripped marathoner? Like where they're just like, no, that's because when you do endurance athletics, it drops your growth hormone and your testosterone. So you're not going to be able to put on lots of muscle mass if you're a long distance athlete. In fact, I would argue long distance athletes generally are unhealthy, much more so than they think when you look at their labs. Um, because of the stress levels of that that un, unending things. Um, so I'm not saying you shouldn't do endurance athletics if it makes you happy, but don't trick yourself into thinking you can eat pizza and beer at the end of your marathon. That's why people die. <laughs> you have to eat even more carefully. I've signed up because I'm a, I don't know why. And I've done a few marathons before and I always feel depressed. And I think it's because I've hit 45. I'm like, right, I'm going to do another marathon. So I've signed up to that in April. And I'm thinking, I'm going to be depressed for like, I know it because it's the inflammation, isn't it? I, I just get depressed for five days. Like I've been on a, a bender, like a tequila bender after I do a marathon. I feel flatline and miserable and I start stuffing my face. So I just wanted to touch on the brain and you've mentioned electricity. Can you tell me what's out there for people with brain fog, for people with neurodiversity? You, I mean... I've got ADHD and I only found that out when I diagnosed my son. It's like the usual story, I guess. I mean, I could have told you that. <laughs> Is it that obvious? <laughs> Scatterbrain. Yeah, I can be the rude American, right? <laughs> okay, of course you can. I, I appreciate it. But I mean, I use it as a superpower because like yesterday, I'm interested in your book and I just smashed through it in 24 hours. Not many neurotypical people would do that. Do you know what I mean? I just like, I don't want to do anything else except read Dave Bloody Asprey's book, thanks very much, out my, out my space. You know, so that that's benefits me, but maybe nobody else. The kids didn't get fed or picked up from school, but whatever, I read the book. <laughs> <laughs> so so you're, you're not alone. Um, I had Asperger's syndrome until I was 30, which is on a similar spectrum and ADHD and ODD and OCD. ODD is oppositional defiant disorder. And if you don't know what that is, the Rage Against the Machines uh, song that says, F you, I won't do what you told me. It's that built into your meat operating system. So you can treat and rewire all of those so that they become superpowers, a lot like you have. Okay, explain, because obviously I want even more of a superpower because I'm a maniac and want world domination, of course. Um, but how do we go about doing it? And particularly for children as well, because my kids are just getting told to go on uh, the usual drugs, you know, big pharma mm. drugs. And I'm, I'm totally, I'm okay with that if someone wants to do that and it works well for them. But my kid doesn't feel nice on it. Are you really okay with giving kids meth? Well, or not are you just really. saying well, that I mean, to be for, politically correct? Well, for, for me, it's, it's so, I'm not going to judge someone else's parenting if they don't have the information, you know? I can't. It's just that I have, I have the information. People don't. Can I just be straightforward? Yeah. If you put your kids on meth before you've changed their diet, you're a bad parent. I mean, it is easy. <laughs> I mean, you don't have to agree with me, but I'm just going to say it. And you can not buy my book. You can hate me forever. You try and cancel me. I am the author of a book on fertility. I have two teenage kids who absolutely would have had ADHD and or Asperger's had we not intervened nutritionally. So here's, here's what you do as an adult or a child. You realize that your meat operating system is doing its very best to make sense of the world around you. 
And its job is to pick up way more information than you're ever going to see, to filter through the information and decide what to give you. Right. And if it picks up the information and in that information, it picks up a signal of stress, it's going to give you stress. And if it picks up someone's face, then you'll see their face. But if you have Asperger's syndrome, for instance, there's so much visual noise and auditory noise because of nutritional factors that it's it's like trying to hear someone's voice in a really staticky signal. You, you can kind of pick up little bits. So it doesn't learn to sense reality the way it should. So you get a superpower at recognizing patterns because you're always listening so damned hard just to hear anything. And you don't know you're listening hard because the static is always there. So you just get a very weak signal. And then when you fix your nutrition in a child or an adult, all of a sudden it's like someone tuned the radio and, and then you can hear it all the way. You're like, oh, like look at all that. But then you have to retrain the system to make use of all that new signal that you get because you never got to do that. And when you're done, you end up with a brain that picks up signals like everyone else, but can sort through them 10 times faster. There's a reason I can write, this will be my fifth New York Times bestseller. And I have a podcast with 300 million downloads and eight companies. And my biggest one, Bulletproof, has done $100 million a year. It's because I got superpowers and having a brain that was completely jacked up when I was young, and then I got to fix it in my early 30s, which was the beginning of, of what became biohacking. So you can do it. The first thing you do, and maybe we'll get to that in a different interview, but you, re, you remove the things that are holding you back. So if you're driving and your car is slow, you're like, take your foot off the brake. Oh, wow, I can drive faster. So it's stop doing the things that make you weak. For those of us with ADHD, um, it's quite often not just sugar. Sugar can be a problem, but it's much less of a problem than grains, bad oils, and especially milk protein. Those are the most common signals or things that interfere with your signal. It could also be other food allergies, and quite often it's environmental toxic mold. And you end up, something is getting in there, and it's it's basically scrambling your signal. And if you grow up with a scrambled signal, um, you you lock on with ADHD, you lock on and you go really deep. So you, you got it. You're not going to let go of that signal because you finally got it. And then you go really deep. And I do the same thing when I want to. I can go really deep on a subject and I emerge four hours later and I, I have new knowledge that no one had before because I can synthesize that way. But if I couldn't lock on that way, I wouldn't be able to do it because I would get bored and then I would you know eat some chocolate. Yeah. I would <laughs> so in the brain section of the book, I talk about the newer technologies for improving brain function for everyone. Meditation is what we used to do. It's just kind of slow. So you and I would agree, hurry, meditate faster, right? Yeah, exactly. I, I, get, I really struggle with it. And, you know, particularly over here, there's so much, you know, self-care and, you know, look after yourself and meditate. And I, I'm just, I can't be arsed. I, I really can't. That's where my laziness really kicks in because I find it bloody boring, really, I, you know? So I, I have studied meditation all over the world in, in Tibetan monasteries, in the Andes, with Chinese energy masters, Sri Lankan masters. Like I've really gone deep on this. And I run a neuroscience institute that teaches you to do 40 years of meditation in five days because of the problem you're talking about. By the way, they're really hard five days. It's work. That's, that's the 40 years of Zen program. So based on all that knowledge, here's what I could tell you. Most meditation techniques were made for farmers. What? If you're a hunter, it's not going to work. So if you have a brain that's different than the average person, those meditations were made for the average person, which is good because that's most of us. Most people are average. That's what average means. But if you're one of the people who say is a warrior and, and you're the one who just naturally runs towards a firefight so you can go stop the bad people and you just do that in your bones and you don't know why you're probably not going to do the meditation that was meant for someone to watch rice grow and make sure that they plant each grain of rice properly. Right. And those are both valuable skills. I'm not denigrating either one. I'm just saying that if you try to do the rice meditation for the warrior, it's going to make you want to just crawl out of your skin. Likewise, if you took a warrior meditation and asked a farmer to do it, it would not feel good to them. So you have to match the meditation to the brain you don't just say, well, I'm going to be a good person. I'm going to do this meditation. That doesn't work. And I'm going to do it every day for 30 years, even though it doesn't work for me, even though it worked for my mom or it worked for someone else in my life. Right? So it's, it's just okay to acknowledge that. But I will tell you that boredom comes from your ego. 
and you can get control of boredom. I don't do boredom anymore, but it took me, oh, about a month of having electrodes glued to my head working on my operating system in order to get rid of boredom. I need to get those electrodes on my head immediately. I mean, I I actually fear boredom. I don't know what it is. I'm like, oh my God, I've got to do something, do something. I've always got to be distracted, you know? I mean, I'm very, I'm, I find it hard to just sit with myself because I'll start daydreaming and I'll be planning something else. I mean, maybe it's just me seeking dopamine as per usual. So there, there's a meditation type. This is not one that I teach at 40 Years of Zen, but I'm, I'm looking for the name. Is it Doug Brackman's work? I think he talks about this. Um, it's called Zazen. It's a Japanese meditation technique for warriors. And in it, you get on your knees, like you sit on your, your feet and your knees, and you straighten your spine. You look down about three feet ahead of, of you and just toss a, a pound, like any coin, a pence, a, whatever you guys call those little coins. A penny, a, a threepenny. Threepenny, yeah, a threepenny. <laughs> uh, you, you, throw a, you throw one of those down, and, and you, you just, for two minutes, you just gently lower your gaze and just stare at it for, for two minutes, maybe three minutes. And if your mind goes away, that's fine. Just just look at it again. You can probably do two minutes of being in that position, looking at a coin. That might be a better meditation for you than spending a half hour doing something. Or you could open up Smarter Not Harder and go to the section on on spiritual hacking or on brain hacking. And you could say, you know what? There's some technologies here. Maybe I want to get the brain tap, which lets you use flashing lights and specific sounds that force the brain into a state that's unfamiliar to you. So then you know what it feels like. It actually works. And you can see brainwave changes. Or maybe you'll go to the section where I talk about here's how to breathe and meditate at the same time to get to the state more quickly. So maybe you wouldn't lose your mind if you use the technique in the book where you're doing the breath and the focusing because when your mind would wander, instead you're counting how many breaths you took. So that took all your attention. And oh my God, I focused on my breathing for five whole minutes without thinking about pizza. That's awesome. So there are ways to do it. And I suppose it's like you just slip into a habit and then it becomes automatic, I guess. And then it becomes less effort. I suppose it's the laziness kicking in again with me. It's getting out of my routine. I find very tricky. That's not laziness, believe it or not. That's still ego. Is it? <laughs> me and my massive ego. Oh, my God. It, it, ego is just part of your meat operating system. It keeps your body alive. It's okay. Uh, we all have it. And if you had no ego, you'd have no body and you'd be dead. And so there's that. So, you know, it's just there. But what you do in any of those situations is you say, okay, if I want to make myself do something hard every time I could choose to do it, and we all know that sometimes you just won't and the bag of crisps is going to win, right? Or you build a habit and a habit is something that you put in your operating system. So you just do it without thinking. And BJ Fogg's work is really powerful for that. So you can say that, but what most of us do is we say, I'm going to make a habit of over-exercising every day because I know it's good for me. And then it doesn't work, but you do it automatically and without thinking. Or my new habit is I don't eat animals. And then suddenly you become malnourished, but it's the habit you follow without thinking because you already have decided it works, right? So it's actually not understanding how things work means you, you form poor habits, even if you intentionally make the habits. So habits are a hack for your OS. But what's really interesting is that when you realize that you just don't want to do something like that, it's usually resistance from your meat OS saying that's more work than it's worth. Or, and this is where a lot of the work I do at 40 Years of Zen with executives, when you decide you're going to step in and take charge of how your body works, your body does not like that. It's like, if you're in charge, a tiger might eat you. So there's always resistance. And it's what every religious tradition, every meditation school, you always run into resistance when when you try to take control of your own operating system, it'll distract you with boredom. It'll distract you with thoughts of sex. It'll distract you with thoughts of ice cream. It'll distract you with itchiness. And it'll tell you all the reasons you shouldn't do something. And that's pretty much what happens in every meditation retreat. And then you work through that and you realize you're still in charge. So I can't teach how to do all that and Smarter Not Harder. But I do tell you, here are the techniques that work better than sitting in a cave and looking at the wall and trying to do it. Because they just work much faster. And that's really, really valuable. And I also teach how to turn off specific triggers. I call them notifications. Like on your phone, there's notifications. Well, your operating system in your brain does. And these are things that get triggered when you don't want them to be. For instance, 
if you turned on every app that wanted to alert you, you turn on your phone and there'd be like 500 alerts and you couldn't even use your phone. For most people, our day every day is like that. There's 500 alerts going on. There's little thoughts in your head. I have to do this. I have to do that. And then that person cut me off in traffic. Now I have to flip them off. <laughs> um, and you know, my my boss said something that made me feel that that way I felt when I was in seventh grade. And you know, Miss Susie said something mean to me, so now I'm going to tell my boss he's a jerk. And like all these things happen, and they're all happening in our operating system, and we think it's us. So what I teach people to do with the it's it's the very last chapter of the book. It's called the reset process, and I it's something that I teach with basically a lie detector at 40 years of Zen. It's called the reset process, and it's teaching people how to turn off. Um, those notifications. So instead of having to have so much energy, you can catch the urge and then say no. Let's just turn off the urge at the start. And this is what makes people really dangerous. Because I mean, imagine like, put it this way: Who knows what you might do if you didn't have to be reactive to all the stuff in the world around you? When a TV ad or a politician tried to push a button and you didn't have the button anymore. And you just said, no, thanks. And you kept on being a good person and doing the right thing and not bullying or shaming those around you and helping the little lady across the street and, and staying authentic to your values because you were unprogrammable. That's very dangerous. That's why my new coffee is called Danger Coffee because it's that state we're looking for. We have so much energy and so few distractions that you get to choose your state. That's why I'm doing the work that I do today. Fascinating approach. Um, it's kind of like putting more, well, it is, it's, it's a positive energy back into every cell in your body. So you're not triggered because it is hard work being triggered. It does, you know, I mean, I can wind myself up so fast, particularly in traffic, particularly with all those like windows open, like you said, you know, it is, it is hard work. It Life is tough, but it, I mean, if we can use your approach and detox all the nastiness and you can fill yourself fill yourself with some sort of control or seeming control. I was very triggerable. Uh, I, I did not have the level of calm and focus that I have now until I did the work that I did. And some of it's nutritional, uh, some of it's environmental, and a lot of it is just reprogramming uh, reprogramming your operating system to just not get so pissed off all the time in the first place. And then you have this abundant amount of energy to go create stuff and. People love to say, Dave, you're so hardworking. I don't actually think I am. I, I care a lot about what I do, but I start my day at 10 a.m. and I stop working at five. <laughs> I'm kind of lazy. Okay, that's nice because I've been up since stupid o'clock. I've got four boys, Dave. Honestly, it's madness in my house. It's chaos. I believe it. But I love it that way. I love it that way. I, actually, just before you go, can we just talk about sleep? Give us some hard, fast rules. Everyone says to me, I can't sleep. I'm perimenopausal. I'm menopausal. I'm stressed. I can't wind down. Dave, tell us how to do it, please. There's a, a small chapter on sleep in this book, but I write about sleep in all my books. So I like to not say the same thing over and over. So I'm going to offer this to your readers. Go to, this is the best URL of my life. Go to sleepwithdave.com. Right. I won't forget that one. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's free. It's, like this, it, it's the full, I, I'm, I'm cheap, but, but there's a, <laughs> a, a, I can't believe I just said that, uh, but, but there, there's a full, like I teach everything I know about sleep there and in, in a little, it's like a sleep challenge. You try something different every night, but the bottom line is have dinner earlier. Don't eat any, any calories within three hours of bedtime. So just earlier dinner, make sure that in the hour or two before you go to bed that you've dimmed all the lights, dimmed all the screens, or you can wear the glasses that I make, the, the true dark glasses. By the way, last time I was on TV in the UK, uh, I think it was ITV, I wore these because it was 3 a.m. when I was doing my interview. And one of the calorie trolls, I forget which one it was, uh, came after me and was like, this crazy person. So I used his Instagram handle as a discount code for my True Dark glasses. Genius. And it made me so happy. <laughs> <laughs> Just clarify about the mouth taping as well, because I'm going to start doing that. And uh, and nitric oxide, what are the benefits? Just, just finally. I do mouth taping. I have every night uh, for probably the last five years now since I learned about it in one of the interviews on, on my podcast. Even my teenage daughter does it because you sleep better. So what you do is you 
at night after you, you know, brush your teeth, when you lay down, you put a little square of tape that's like underneath your nose, kind of like a, just a little mustache size thing. You can still breathe through the sides of your mouth. And when you do that, your meat operating system conveniently opens up your sinuses. Unless you have a bad cold, even if you're saying, I can't breathe through my nose, magically one of them will open up because your body actually wants you to breathe. Who would have thought? It's an automatic response. And then when you sleep, you breathe through your nose, which improves oxygen levels in the brain so you get better sleep. And you snore much, much less, which is really good for your partner and for you. And if you have an app like Sleep Space that monitors for snoring, um, then um, it'll actually show a reduction in snoring. So you feel better in the morning. A side effect of getting more oxygen in the brain is you also increase nitric oxide levels, which improves the health of your vascular system. So the argument is this. You were going to go to sleep anyway. As long as it doesn't interfere with your sleep, taking literally five seconds to put a little piece of not that sticky tape over your mouth, it gives you a better night's sleep for no appreciable cost. It's kind of like a free upgrade for your sleep. Fabulous hack. I love it. Okay. Well, Dave, where can people connect with you? What are your social handles? Tell us about your podcast and tell us about some of the books they can buy. All right. You can find everything at DaveAsprey.com. There's 3,000 articles and 1,000 hours worth of podcasts on any subject you want. Pick the one that's interesting to you. You don't have to read them all. You can get Smarter Not Harder anywhere you like to buy books. I believe our launch date in the UK is the same as the US. And I did read my own book. So if you can handle my West Coast American accent, uh, then I think I did a good job of reading it. Uh, I have moved to Texas, but I don't speak Texan yet. So I don't say y'all, uh, which is good. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's that Southern drawl is quite charming, I think. I like that. Uh, yeah. Y'all take care. <laughs> and then we also, uh, if you go to Dave.Asper and Instagram, I'm there and, and all the other social media channels where you'd expect uh, and what, what you'll find is I always post about uh, increases in human behavior. I value your time greatly because I've consumed 300 million hours of people's lives with my podcast. And this book will probably be another, by the time people read it, probably another half a million hours. If I don't write stuff that matters, I am a huge mass murderer. Like I, I cannot waste that number of hours. And yes, I'll say funny things. Uh, there's always a reason for them. Uh, and I just value your time and attention so very much. And I'm also honored when you decide to pick up Smarter Not Harder and to invest your time in it. My promise to you, you're going to get a lot more time in your life back and you're going to feel better than you did before. And that um, that's why I wrote it. And that's why I think it's worth your time. Dave, thank you so much. I'm going to go and uh, reread your book and uh, definitely implement some of that time-saving I mean, energy increasing exercises because I do pound those pavements far too much and my knees aren't thanking me for it. Dave Asprey, thank you so much and we'll see you again soon. Thanks, Davinia. Thank you for listening to this episode of Hack Your Health. Make sure you subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode and please share it far and wide so everyone else can get healthier. The more people we can educate and empower will lead us to a healthier life. Okay, so we make this show for you and I'd love to get your feedback. So please do review us or DM me on Instagram at Davinia Taylor. This has been an Underground Fan Club production.